0: Good evening, you are listening to 3 Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have freelance writer, Fraser Brown. Hello! And we're also joined by freelance writer and Vice Sports columnist, Ian Williams. Hi, how's it going? Uh, And today we're going to be talking about Dawn of War 3, which is is why Ian is here, uh, since he wrote the uh, review for us over at Waypoint and is sort of a resonant... Uh, 40k aficionado uh which i feel has at least some overlap with uh the wrestling beat
1: you're on as well. Yeah, it's uh uh it's it's a whole lot of like uh crypto fascism disgu- disguised as like humorous and <laughs> light <laughs> entertainment. <laughs> well, they're not they're not all crypto uh I I, I, I I say too much, but yeah, I mean, these <laughs> are like...
0: Actually, now, now upon reflection, maybe they all are just different... Like, there's like crypto-fascist mystics, and then there's just the straight-up fascists. It's good. It's good times. Yeah, Orcs are yeah.
2: more, like, anarchic, I'd say. I don't really think they oh, that's have true. any real politics. They're maybe a little bit, like, they're kind of... Into Darwin stuff because it's all like you know and maybe Nietzschean almost. Yeah. I don't know, but maybe that's giving them too much credit.
0: <laughs> you, you're right, but there's no way they'd be like organized enough. Their, their shit is never together enough for like full-on fascism. Like that, yeah, that's the exactly. one. The the orcs have the, the orcs definitely have have a form of freedom.
1: Uh, I suppose. They like to fight. That's everything is geared towards the idea that there's there's a fight, <laughs> and, and yeah, they're, they're always preparing for it. They're pretty fighty. Uh, so this
0: is the third game of the ever changing Dawn of War series, and you uh, know I want you to I want you to start us off a little bit because I know in your review you mentioned that you sort of have a conflicted history with sort of the evolution of this series so why don't you talk us through a little bit your background with the dawn of war games and then where dawn of war 3 sort of fits into that continuity of design
1: um sure so dawn of war came out and uh the first one and it was at a time when real-time strategy games were for lack of a better word like they felt very wide open and i mean that in the sense that uh, generally speaking, you would have these maps that were very, uh, were, were either very large or didn't have, um, uh, very strict bottle, bottlenecks, right? So you ended up doing this thing where you built your base and then you would go out and fight on this open battlefield and it would kind of go back and forth. And there was kind of this ebb and flow to it, right? That was similar to what you would think of as, uh, a large kind of battle fought over days, um. Dawn of War was very much keeping in that general mold, right? You made your bases, you made your troops, you rushed, everything like that. Um, Dawn of War 2 came out. Um, and by the way, before, before I talk about Dawn of War 2, I really liked Dawn of War 1, right? Like, I was never what I would consider a hardcore player because I'm very much a turn-based strategy uh, game guy. Um, but Dawn of War 1 was, uh, particularly with some of the expansions, when they added like kind of like this Total War-esque strategic map Layer right where you were fighting over planets and stuff like that. It really clicked with right. me, particularly when when you was have like Soul lots Storm? of factions. Uh, yeah, Soulstorm, which is which is totally my favorite. Um, I don't know if it's the best regarded. Um, the one that added the sisters of battle was one I think that everybody. It's goes like on the about. definitive uh, yeah standalone expansion. Like it's the total
2: package, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. So like I like I remember playing like I like I liked the other Dawn of War one games and expansions. I loved Soulstorm. Right. Like there was a sense of scale. Um, that you can only get in kind of like a sci-fi game. Um, That's that's interesting.
0: Just to interrupt, it's so weird. I I feel now like I'm missing out because the problem was, so I was like, I was a little bit of a Dawn of War early adopter. And unfortunately, by the time they got around to Soulstorm, I was kind of like over Dawn of War just a little bit. Like at that point for me, it started to feel like, okay, we're going back to this well uh, again. In my head, I can't even remember... Was Soulstorm almost, like, contemporaneous with Company of, Company of Heroes by that point? Because that's the other part of this, is that Dawn of War comes along, and I don't think any other RTS had really, like, embraced wargame stuff like cover and morale as much as Dawn of War did. So that felt pretty revolutionary. And then Company of Heroes sort of builds on that and goes in this whole different direction. But what I can't remember is, like i felt like Soulstorm came out a while later um and i feel like by, by that it did point, too. i just want more more blood ravens more more captain
1: right. gabriel um i feel like it did too where like company of heroes came out and then i, I mean somebody's sure to correct me on this but like i feel like i feel like company of heroes came out and kind of uh re like recentered what what they wanted to do with their real-time strategy games at relic um and then Soulstorm came out like either around the same time or shortly after as kind of like you know, this capstone to the Dawn of War project. But of course, like Dawn of War 2 went in this very different direction, very small squads, almost like an RPG, um, which was picking up, you know, that kind of stuff from like uh, Company of Heroes. And I'll, I'll be honest, like I bounced off of Dawn of War 2 pretty hard, right? Because I was like, well, if I want to play, I have these very like um formal ideas about, about what I want my games to be, right? So mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm very into like genre and form in the sense that you know it's cool to break it right but like if it breaks it in certain ways i'm like well i'm not playing a real-time strategy game and i was really in the mood for a real-time strategy game and dawn of war 2 felt like that to me because i'd played by that point like seven years eight years of rts's um which were in this like kind of like mass battle um, mm-hmm. you know zoomed out layer so dawn of war 2 like didn't really work for me right and i can't really speak with like a ton of authority um about like the nuances of Dawn of War 2, because like I said, it just, it, it was, a, the style of game was not something that I really, really, uh, you know, delved into super deeply. So Dawn of War 3 comes out, and um, it it aims to kind of meld, you know, both games, right? Um, but with something extra, right? So the melding of the two is that you know a lot of people were like, oh, I really miss base building from Dawn of War One. I. I miss having, um, you know, a ton of units and uh, you know, kind of like a bigger sense of scale and everything like that. But um, so they, they added that in, right? Um, there's no strategic layer like there is with, uh, with with Soulstorm, where you're marching across a planet or anything like that. Um, it retained the the, the very tightly story based. Um, uh, focus from, from from Dawn of War 2 where you're dealing with, you know, the, the focus is kind of on these small squads, right, even though it, it kind of adds back in the scale, right, you've got all these basically grunts that can die in droves, right, but as long as your hero is there, um, you know, that's where the focus is. Um, The added ingredient is that they very clearly have been paying attention to the popularity of MOBAs, and they've added MOBA elements into Dawn of War 3. And that's where I think the new kind of synthesis is. So they're trying to do this ostensibly um, old-school-ish real-time strategy project, but with this focus on the heroes and kind of the map design where there are these long... um, Kind of narrow bottlenecks, like valleys, particularly in, in in multiplayer, where you're you're going to attack an enemy's base, um, and there are a succession of buildings, some of which can defend themselves, um, and and they're pre-made, and you're trying to destroy them in order to win a multiplayer game. They're adding all these elements of of, of MOBA, um, as well as all of these unlockable characters, right, which are now using MOBA technology to uh, to classify them right down to. Um, I remember in Dawn of War II, it was something like you know damage and heals, and uh, I, I can't remember the exact terminology, but this is very much in the League of Legends style. Um, well, this is uh, this is a support crowd control guy. This is a tank. This is damage and stuff like that. So. Um, it remains to be seen, I think, whether or not that can work, right? Like, that's the big question for me. I, reading reviews uh, by people on Steam, it's either working for people a lot or it's really not. They're like, I don't want this MOBA shit in my game. I get it out, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a game that I can see being really divisive, which is kind of weird. Like, it almost feels like, for me, here with Dawn of War 3 the series now has, like, sort of locked in its identity. Oh, this is the Relic series where you literally don't know what the game is going to be from iteration to iteration. Like, this is... Like, Company of Heroes is going to be Company of Heroes, and they'll experiment within that framework. Dawn of War is kind of like... I don't know, there's they're, they're Skunkworks RTS uh, series in, in in some respects. Uh, Fraser, I'm, I'm curious what you've made of, like what was your relationship with sort of the the changes they made in 2 and then how are you reacting to some of these um MOBA-ish like unit dynamics and then particularly these map dynamics? Well when 2 first launched I'd say that I was a little bit like
2: Ian I did not dig it It was too big a change for me, and I wasn't ready to embrace an entirely new style of RTS. Years later, I entirely changed my mind, and I saw it for the wonderful game that it was. Um, Incredibly flawed, but I mean, I like the dynamic map that they they brought back, because there are multiple planets in Dawn of War 2 that you're fighting over. I like that mission-based thing, the way they kind of uh, merged skirmishes and campaign missions, and there was this lovely flow between them. And the the fact that every unit you were fighting with had an impact, that each unit was meaningful, they were all heroes. So losing one was really devastating. And I loved all the RPG elements. I loved building my squad, applying new armor, uh levelling them up and developing their skills and they all had their personalities as well and they all engaged with the storyline it, it didn't always work and sometimes they repeated the maps a bit too often that was one of the downsides of adding skirmishes to the campaign is that you'd see a lot of the same maps over and over again but the battles were a hell of a lot of fun Um so when they When they said we kind of want to do away with that with Dawn of War 3 and maybe go back to the the base building roots of the series, I was a little bit hesitant about it. I'm really glad now, though, that they've tried to merge these two games together. I actually do like base building. I think that it's not necessarily great in 3. I think it works really well with, say, the Eldar, because you have to make a lot of really interesting tactical considerations with their warp gates and how every building that the Eldar constructs can allow them to teleport between these buildings. So you would say, right, this barracks is now going to link to this webway gate on the other side of the map, really close to the enemy base, and I'm just going to build a huge army and send them through the barracks into this webway gate, and demolish my enemy in a second. That's really satisfying, and being able to use base building for these assaults is is really cool. And it's not something you really see very often, but I feel with the other factions, it wasn't used in such an interesting way, uh, especially with the Space Marines, who are a little bit boring sometimes. The 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 thing that I actually think really worked was the MOBA stuff, and that really surprised me, and I know it's put a lot of people off. People hear MOBA, hardcore RTS players. They hear the word MOBA, and they just grimace. It's, it's new, and it's for young people who
0: don't know they're born. It's, it's the usurper of the RTS's proper mantle. It,
2: exactly, but MOBAs are really fucking
0: cool. Uh, if they'd give it a
2: chance, I think... See, the thing that that Relic have taken from Mobis that works really well is creating these really unique units that synergize really well together. You can, because every time you're, you're playing in a match, you you choose three hero units, to, um, elite units, to bring in with you. You generate elite points and summon them in, and they all have, as Ian pointed out, these different roles. So you have like assassins and nukers and tanks, but they also work not just well together, but with the the grunt units as well. So you can pull off all these really cool synergized attacks using massive explosions, teleportation, charges, and that they can all be augmented by these doctrines that you can unlock, which are essentially buffs, but there are just so many of them. So you're creating this really elaborate loadout that can change match to match. So you never really quite know in multiplayer what you're going to be up against. For instance, the Eldar are typically your long-range guys. Uh, in melee, they just crumble. They're, they're terrible. So if you're fighting Eldar, you think, OK, I want to leap in there. If, if you're playing with Space Marines, with my Assault Marines, get in there, lock them down, force them to engage in melee, and you've, you've won that particular battle. But an Eldar player could... but They, they know what their weakness is, so they could have brought in an elite like Jane Zara, who is a melee expert who can rush in, carve through enemies, just this mad, this line cutting through uh, Space Marines, orcs, other Eldar, whatever, demolishing them, press a button at the right time, cast out her crazy blade, which spins around, jump on top of that blade and throw a bunch of other blades on top of a whole squad, and just decimate them, and suddenly. The Space Marine player is like, okay, actually, these guys are really kicking my ass in close quarters combat. I have to rethink everything. And maybe they, the next match, they're going to pick different doctrines. They're going to start seeing that there's more to their opponent than meets the eye. And I don't think you get that with uh, a bog standard RTS. This comes with the, all the exotic units and weird powers they have. And that's all from the MOBA side of things. So I think it's the best thing that, that Relic could have done uh, and the thing that makes multiplayer by far the best component of Dawn of War 3 because the campaign is just rubbish. But multiplayer is phenomenal. Uh, and it's, it, it's refreshing because it isn't just like a MOBA with some RTS flavor or an RTS with a bit of MOBA flavor. It's something new drawing from elements of both.
0: Yeah, I'm curious... Do you guys feel like this is the dawn of war that lets the um, that provides the most like forty k flavor, right? Where like like when you're when you're describing sort of that some of the like crazy interactions between uh, sort of your your elites and then sort of the uh, cannon fodder type units that to me begins to smack of a certain. Grandiosity and like raw power and explosiveness that I don't think was always there in, for instance, Dawn of War One, and I think that by the way still remains my favorite one. But Dawn of War, but the original Dawn of War, very much is kind of a conventional RTS skinned really effectively with 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 Warhammer forty k stuff. This I one that, kind of feels like it has the, the bombast and, and the nuttiness that sort of defines uh, some of your, your 40k units. It's more like they're drawing from the uh, art and the,
2: uh, the novelizations and things like that than the tabletop game. They're trying to capture the fantasy of 40k, which isn't necessarily present in these very slow tabletop games, which are great, but they aren't necessarily as thrilling and explosive as a novelization where everything's blowing up and there's all of this lore behind it in big characters with their speeches and stuff like that. You don't really necessarily get that in a tabletop game. Uh so I think that's they're trying to capture the fantasy of 40k rather than the tabletop battles.
1: Well, I would I would I would add also that like It kind of depends on which 40k we're talking about right so like 40k once upon a time was this game about kind of like being uh you know if, if if it was personalized at all on like a on a tabletop level or even in the games it was about uh these largely anonymous soldiers of some sort um very few special characters um who were in this 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 universe that was obviously bigger than they were, right? But they were doing these, these kind of epic things on their own. Um, but 40K is no longer what it was, you know, 35 years ago when I got into it. Jesus. Um, and... uh <laughs> But so, so you know, it's 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 more character-focused um, uh, because, you know, we're talking about the novelizations and stuff like that. But Dawn of War Three is being released in this really interesting time in uh, the corporate history of Games Workshop and, uh, and Warhammer 40,000. They're getting ready to do a new edition. And with that new edition, uh, the Primarchs are coming back. And the Primarchs, for those who aren't familiar, the progenitors of the Space Marines, every Space Marine chapter, are essentially the genetic sons of these demigod-esque uh, supermarines. Super I thought most of them uh, died during the horse Heresy. Well, they're back. Robota uh, Guleman, uh, the Primarch of the Ultramarines, is back. He came back, and that's kind of the fictional catalyst for this major shift in 40K's lore and rules, and some of the Chaos Primarchs are back. Uh, Mortarian, the Primarch of the Death Guard, Holy is coming shit. back. Um, Magnus the Red, they have a miniature for him, and he's out. Uh, and, and rumored some of the lost rather than dead Loyalist Primarchs are in the works. We don't know if that's the case. So there's, there's this massive tonal shift going on at Games Workshop with the fiction, the... Um, the, the game itself, uh, the miniatures line, all of that. And you can read Dawn of War Three. I don't I don't claim to know how how closely Games Workshop monitors uh, their properties when, when when they license them out to video game companies. I think you can used <laughs> yeah. Well you can you can certainly read it as of a piece with this tonal shift. The heroes in Dawn of War Three are insanely powerful they're kind of ridiculous in some cases you know mostly in a good way you know this kind of satisfying oh i'm doing something crazy sometimes in a very kind of goofy way um but um yeah you know i think uh i I think that's largely correct is that it's it's playing to the specific kind of fantasy which is in vogue uh in 40k's extended lore and is kind of penetrating the tabletop game more and more, right? We're we're getting a shift back to this uh this 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 firm emphasis on the heroes and everything like that. I'm just really curious
0: just because like I've always I've always sort of rubber at uh <laughs> that sounds like uh, Games Workshop is a car wreck, which at times it is. Uh but I have I've always been sort of luridly fascinated uh by by that universe. I've read far too many of the uh of the Horus Heresy books uh than than I care than, than I care to admit um what do you think is driving that shift within within 40k like that that's a game that was sort of a uh impersonal like units are cannon fodder like ch- like chapters have identities but like uh individuals rarely do what do you think is driving this uh this push into more of a heroic fantasy uh like View of that universe
1: Well I think it's um, I, tend to, I tend to think that it's a different I, I, I think that that's something that just happens In the culture and, and by that I mean If you look at these Kind of fictional universes So when I play a, a tabletop game I like a largely static Fictional universe that doesn't change Right. I like, I like my universe I like the 40k universe as this palette That I can paint on Right, I, I want it to be just a blank canvas, and uh, because it's big enough that you can do that thing. But I think that cultural demands are now that you always want more, and you want this sense of forward motion in your uh, in your fictional universes. So this weird dystopian far future thing done by a bunch of British metalheads in the 80s does not gel with those demands. And you can see it everywhere, right? You can see, like, J.K. Rowling's like, oh, well, let's do some more Harry Potter, right? Or, it, you know, her, her her tweets and stuff about how she wishes that she could change it a little bit, kind of dangling this change. You can see it in the way things like uh, World of Warcraft feel, feel the need to tell these um, kind of earth-changing stories over and over again, including uh, you know destroying it at at one point. You can see it in the fact that Warcraft has novelizations about about all of these things. There's this there's this infinite demand for kind of like a forward motion in in in, in our geek properties. Um, you can see it in all tabletop games as well. Y- I mean, yeah.
2: I play a lot of Star Wars, Armada, or like Netrunner, and they're always they're living games. They're constantly adding new decks and. Like new objectives and storylines and changing the, the actual rules of the game to suit the new things they're bringing in. So you're never just buying something and that's it. You're constantly adding to it, which I think works for, for Games Workshop's model, which is always trying to keep people spending money at Games Workshop.
1: Yeah. And you can, and you can look at like 15 years ago, you can look at white wolf with the world of darkness thing where they always dangled that the world was somehow going to end at some point and they ended it. Right. And there were very, solid you know business reasons for doing that but from like a storyline reason uh like there was always i remember i was very very into world of darkness games in the early aughts and the late 90s and there was always this demand amongst the fan base to like move this story forward right which always now i can speak only for myself but that never sits right for me right because what i like like i said is i like that to be my universe if it ends i want my table to end it not you know the writers who who, who may or may not right. end it to my satisfaction now you know again this kind of shift of emphasis to like this heroic fantasy you need heroes to kind of move the storyline forward if you're just a bunch of faceless soldiers um you know it's it, it's harder to kind of uh, essentialize that that forward narrative momentum in, in 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 a unit or an army or a planet but if it's you know, Lord Primarch of the Ultramarines returning back to fight Chaos, then that signals this big shift in Games Workshop. You know, they're, they're rolling with it, and it's kind of, you know, that's, that's the new 40K. You know, for, for, for good or ill, that's what it is. So,
0: going back to Dawn of War 3, where we're talking about that shift from the sort of faceless, uh, interchangeable units to, to the heroic model, I think this is where I start to struggle with, with Dawn of War 3. <sighs> what I don't like about it is how uncomfortable I often find the game because it's not readable in the way that a lot of RTSs are sort of instantly comprehensible to me because they're working from such a common uh, playbook, right? And with Dawn of War 3... The thing that I'm like, the the thing that I'm really struggling, for instance, to adapt myself to, is that at times it feels like most of those units are just there to die. Like they'll do a little damage on on their way out, but those cannon fodder units, once once the heroes are on the map, those cannon fodder units can like augment the heroes and like play a role, but they're also going. You're you're also going to watch them just get slaughtered. Uh, real fast and, and really quickly, and with a lot of your other relic games, for instance, that's kind of the opposite of what you want. Not, like you never want your units to die, but like husbanding your forces is very much like part of a lot of these other games, right? Like in in, in Dawn of War One, you know, you, you tried to rescue pinned down squads, you you dealt with suppression, you worried more about that than you worried about casualties. Uh, in in some sense, Company of Heroes is is like kind of all about uh, force protection, uh, preservation of forces. Dawn of War three, it definitely feels like there's moments in the game, like the first part of the game, the the early the early stages of a, of, a, of a match, feel conventional to me. They feel familiar, and then the bigger and badder units start making their way onto the map, and it starts going in this direction that is new and different and deeply uncomfortable for me because it's just it's like a concept I haven't yet um learned to intuit right and so like I'm looking around and like my my regulars are just like imploding right there's 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 uh tanks just tanks just exploding there's there's giant like orcish tin cans like wading through assault troopers and squads are evaporating and in the past I used to know what all that meant but now it's like I'm in the presence of this MOBA hybrid and it's not immediately it's it's not immediately clear for me like are these guys dying because I'm bad or is it just because like this is the game this is now like (laughs) the role these guys play is to die while your heroes get the real work done
2: it's definitely faster paced um you expect to take a lot more casualties than you would in certainly Dawn of War 2 and maybe more than than Dawn of War 1 as well. And it was one of my concerns was that when you're playing, it's like an orcish horde and you're just seeing them explode into gibbs and it's it's complete devastation. Everywhere you look, it's just dead orcs. You don't feel very empowered. Uh, You feel pretty weak. However, each unit and faction have these little abilities that can augment these units uh, or may either make them do more damage or have more defense. For instance, the orcs can scavenge and loot, giving themselves more armor, new attack abilities. They have the uh, warg towers which buff them, and then they have hero units that are supporting them and empowering them. So you shouldn't always be just watching your units get decimated, but if you cock up, then you will be punished for your mistake. But it won't take very long for you to start fielding a big army again. Uh, I think one of the things in the multiplayer is the idea of the escalation phase, where actually at the beginning, you're getting um, reimbursed for dead units. Uh, you get less as the escalation goes on. It's the, the escalation is every 10 minutes, I believe. Uh, and at the start, some of the costs that you've put into generating these units, you get back so you can build new ones. And the, they they build really quickly as well. And especially if you're playing uh, a force-heavy faction like the Orcs, where each unit has a great number of, of individuals in it, you're able to field really huge armies very quickly. Uh, I think in the beginning, one of the... Arc strategies is just don't build anything right at the start just turn out three or f- like four arc units straight, to- straight away so you can go and take like an elite point and a bunch of resource points before the enemy have even got enough troops to you know get to more than one or two so you start from that uh, very wealthy position early on because you can just knock them out so quickly
0: Real quick, Fraser, uh, we were talking. You were talking a little bit about the uh, the phases. Mm-hmm. Can you just take the stru- the the structure of a multiplayer game? Because there's there's also objectives uh, that, yeah. that are part of the story, and those also play a weird uh, and unfamiliar role uh, within Dawn of War.
2: Yeah, it's it's weird, but it's good. So the idea, uh, each there's only really one mode in multiplayer. I hope they bring more because I think that. Uh, one mode will get uh, a bit boring after a while, but thats it's not there yet. So the idea is that in whether you're playing 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, you have this very specific goal which is to destroy your enemy's power core while defending your own and these power cores are generally on opposite ends of the map a fair distance away from each other even on the small 1v1 maps however you can't just charge right in uh, because they are defended by very very powerful turrets that will automatically just annihilate everything in a very large radius and there's also an active ability that players can use where they'll stun everything in their radius so you want to destroy these turrets but you can't just go and destroy the turrets because these turrets are also protected by shield generators so the actual the first objective is to destroy the shield generator Uh, you only have to because each turret in the bigger maps there are like two turrets, and each has its own shield generator, but you 're only really wanting to knock down one turret so you can get to one side of the the power core so really you're, you're, you can focus, but you 've still got these distinct stages, so accompanying that is the the escalation stages which are, which are phases which I mentioned earlier, where you get more uh, building health and unit health and less uh, reinforcement reimbursement or casualty reimbursement as the match goes goes along. So the longer you're fighting for, the hardier everything is and the longer it takes to destroy. But you're never gonna have enough troops in the first phase to Get to the power core. So, inevitably, you're going to be dealing with the second phase where everything's a little bit tougher. And because everything's a little bit tougher, there's a good chance it'll move to the, to the third phase. But you can win before you get there. Uh, it creates um, interesting tactics that I've seen people use. It inspires a lot of ballsy moves. For instance, building your base, because, like a, a, a more traditional. Uh, artists, you can build wherever you want, which is great. You can just build your base right next to the power core, uh, or not your power or the um, the shield generator uh, on the enemy side of the map. So if they haven't noticed, or if they can't field a big enough army to take it out, and if if you're playing like as an orc faction, for instance, you might have the war towers, which uh, also are basically guard towers. So you've got a bit of fortification, which isn't something the the game really has much of so you have a a distinct advantage there then you are able to just spew out units and constantly attack their shield generator and it is the most infuriating thing just to the left of your base seeing this like green tide flowing over your precious shield generator and there's nothing you can do about it Uh, Mm, so yeah it's, it's and it feels quite appropriate doesn't it Um, So yeah, I'm I'm really into the the phase structure uh, and the objectives as well. I don't like the idea of just, it's two armies just smacking the shit out of each other. (laughs) Uh, This has purpose and it also makes you engage with every part of your army. It forces you to use the super weapons, it forces you to fight over locations because you've also got these resource points as well that are imperative. And actually, as the um, escalation phases go on, you generate more resources as well. Uh, So you really want to protect them for as long as you can. So everywhere in that map, there could be battles raging for clear reasons. Uh, And it gets
1: tougher and tougher as it goes on. And the battles get bigger and bigger as well. I'm I'm really interested in in if they're going to do something uh, it, it seems obvious to me that they will but obviously we can't confirm that um if they're going to move into esports pretty hard because a lot of their setup seems just custom made for good watching by an audience. Uh, oh hell yeah. Yeah, so um that's that, that's kind of what I'm looking at, you know, this kind of that they kind of MOBA RTS hybrid thing just, just seems tailor made for modern esports viewing. So they're being super cautious about it though. They wouldn't talk yeah. at
2: all about it. They're like, Well, we love esports. And obviously with with company of heroes, they kind of they've dabbled in esports. It's actually I mean, I've never really gotten into um, competitive company of heroes too. I love the game. Uh, but I, I much more dig the, the single-player element of that. Uh, but they've done quite well with it, so I'd be surprised if they didn't. And it, as you say, it, it seems perfect. Because each each map is just a battle arena that feels
0: right out of a MOBA and
2: just great for spectators.
0: I, I think with Relic, I think they, they definitely have a history, I think, of taking a very hands-off approach. And to an extent, that, that has not always been... Uh, that has not always been welcome. I remember that, uh, like one of the more notable StarCraft players, uh, StarCraft Two players from North America, um, Huck uh, uh, Chris Chris LaRong- Chris uh, Laranger, um, I think he got his start as a competitive Company of Heroes player, and I remember there being an interview where he was kind of like miffed that, like he was he was kind of forced to move on to StarCraft Two to an extent because. Like, Relic kind of let Company of Heroes 1 wither on the vine. On the other hand, like, I don't know. Esports is hugely expensive. It's an enormously complicated thing to to really wade into. But, like, it, it seems like the Relic approach is, like, make the tools available. Like, make it, like, if people want to do that, like, it that can happen. There's nothing in the game to prevent it. But I'm not sure... I'm not sure unless, like, Relic has sort of rethought their entire approach to, like, competitive gaming. I'm, I'm not sure there's, like, really an esports initiative in place over at Relic. Nor, nor do I think there needs to be, right? Like, I don't know, they've got support systems set up for it already with
2: Company of Heroes too. Like, people at Relic who are sort of dedicated to promoting their games as esports games
0: man but then like there just doesn't seem to be like i have never like i have never heard from those people right yeah (laughs) like i like i have been working in esports for like uh five years and i've like literally never heard i think it was i I don't even know if it's
2: still going on in a big way but when i was like covering news uh i would get emails about esports tournaments uh, company of heroes 2 tournaments and stuff like that with you know, on Twitch and prize pools and all this other stuff, and I'd be like, oh, I better write this then. Yeah. uh, Yeah, so it was very, it was a thing, but it wasn't with the same, uh, it wasn't
0: happening as frequently as with your major esports games. I would definitely be curious to see what it would look like as a competitive game because there are so many, the other thing that I am struggling with is it requires a lot of, like, nimbleness, Mm-hmm. between entering your MOBA headspace and entering your RTS headspace right so like on the one hand like for instance taking down towers right like on the one hand I'm sort of sieging up around a tower right i've got firing lines in place i'm like cuz i'm also trying to resist any like counter push right i want to hold that position and slowly work slowly work in on that tower but then on the other hand i got to eventually have to wade in there with, with my heroes, and the tower starts, like, raising all kinds of hell, and then the enemy hero units come out, and now you can see, like, massive AoE attacks forming, like, the, the <laughs> yeah. and so now it's like, okay, now I've got to do the MOBA thing of sort of pirouetting out of the way of that, like, orca shithammer that, that's about to come down. I don't know what, you know, I don't know what the ability is actually called, so we'll just call it, like, the, the orca shit It's called shithammer. rock. Yeah. Rocks, I think, with a K. Um, are okay,
2: because <laughs> they're arcs, right? Right.
0: So there's there's uh, there's there's this element of like switching really fast between that. You know, okay, it's a it's an RTS time, like set up. You know, set up your tanks in front of your your ranged artillery and and do all that stuff, and then literally there's those split second MOBA moments of like, okay, right now you are in the front. Of the right now you are to the front of the um space marine uh, knight armor, and it's about to nuke everything in that in that cone and you need to get around behind that thing right now or you're going to die and that is that is a um every RTS sort of re- like has those elements of positioning like you sort of play that cat and mouse of incumbent of heroes when you're trying to flank an armored vehicle. But it happens a lot and, like, frequently and in close, like, succession in, uh, in Dawn of War 3. Where it's, like, you just have to seamlessly switch between those two headspaces. And I am finding that I'm getting better at it. But it always just feels so profoundly weird. I And I think that's that's the interesting thing. It's, like, this game makes me feel old and, like... Not in the, I'm an old man, I don't have the reflexes for it, but more in the, oh my God, like RTSs have been wiring me to play with a certain set of expectations for like 20 years. And here's Dawn of War 3, like changing that up. And I'm finding that really, like, there's a lot of muscle memory and habits and just like patterns of thought that I'm having trouble breaking here.
1: Yeah, I, I love s- how old you're sounding. <laughs> 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 I mean,. I'm 40, so so I've got the shitty reflexes to go with the you know inability <laughs> to, to quite... Process. But, but I, I get what you're saying. It, it, perpetually, when, it, when I was doing my review, I was kind of grappling with this thing where I said, okay, I this is good. They're achieving their design goals, I think. And I would still rather play Dawn of War 1, if that makes sense, because it was just this game that I thought was very well designed and, and everything... It, that you're talking about but I wanted to go to that comfortable space to something that I was better at and that I was more familiar with you know Um, and I think that's totally fine right Like, like you know one of the things I think you have to do as a reviewer is to say hey you know this is this is good even if it's not for me right you know you sometimes if you're really into action movies you gotta review a comedy that you're that you don't like right or the, or don't like is the wrong choice of words but that is not you know what you go see every saturday night um but there's like you're right there's so much going on there and i think even just the volume of fast-paced clicking that you have to do is a slight level above a normal RTS for the reasons that you're talking about, because you get this kind of MOBA madness where you're kind of fainting and prodding those final defenses while you're also defending all these resource points like you would in a normal RTS. And there's there, there's just a lot going on, and that's why that's why I, I I don't really do esports, but I would probably watch games of this because I want to see how people who are really good at this game. Do because I'm not very good at this game, right? <laughs> I, I I mean I I you know I did fine in the single player campaign, um, and uh, you know unfortunately it was it, it's it's a very busy time of year with me, so I haven't gotten to play multiplayer with actual people yet. I had to stick to the you know the AI skirmishes. Um, I'm gonna get in that multiplayer soon and just get my ass kicked, I know, but I want to see. But I like I want to see what two masters this game can do with it because like you're saying, there's there's stuff going on that is recognizable but new and it, it, in this conceptual space as well as this as, as well as this physical space i think and i think it would be really neat to watch the the joy for me
2: has been trying to find the the logic the logic and the kernel of calm in this ocean of chaos uh, that is a battle um because there, there's a lot of like little. There's a little bits of nuance to this that it, it's really hard to pick up just by looking at it, and it helps that it actually does have a, uh, a, a bunch of different tutorials uh, because it does feel fundamentally very new. Uh, one thing that I struggled to learn with uh, learn was not to just immediately run away when a super weapon gets deployed. Because that's the first instinct. When you see the ground swelling up and your soldiers being sucked up into like an orbital death ray, you think, right, I'm gonna get the hell out of here. But actually, you can take command and control of this situation because each of these uh, like super weapons has this obvious weakness. It has a, a physical presence on the battlefield that you can interact with as the enemy. So, for instance, with the, the Space Marines Orbital Cannon, you can capture the location, the sort of relay that it's being dragged down to, and you can stop it from moving. Thus you, it basically just becomes this inert thing. You just avoid this little circle, and you're fine, as long as you keep that area captured. Um, it's even better with the, the, uh, the rocks, which is the, the orc uh, super, super weapon. So the idea is that they're pulling um, meteors down from orbit. Uh, f- uh, first little ones and then this massive giant one, which is just this huge AOE attack. And units can actually pick up the device that's bringing these uh, these meteors to to the planet. Anyone can do that, including your unit. So if you're being bombarded by these little hunks of rock, you can get a very nimble, perhaps like a flying unit, just grab it, and then race across the map, sacrificing maybe one unit at most, and you've just denied the enemy this weapon that has an incredibly long cooldown, uh, and you feel really good about yourself, and uh, you just have to like be calm for ten seconds, and that's all. <laughs>
0: This is so the cooldown thing is the interest is another interesting part of this. There's a definite there's definitely tug of war element to this. Um, Like it's very hard to simply rush a win. uh, Just given the way the 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 matches are are kind of structured and with those low tier units, like a turret is a really it's a tough objective uh, Mm. to to take down when when you're sort of dealing with your tier one units. But it is really cool how, because of the hero units and the cooldown, like, okay, so a comparison with like Company of Heroes... Uh, you, you see little hints of this, right? Like, the more units you have, the slower, I think, your manpower points come in. Uh, that, that's sort of a pool that builds up very slowly. But nevertheless, you can build huge stockpiles in Company of Heroes, and if things go wrong, if you're nursing a big enough lead, uh, chances are you're still going to be able to replenish your forces pretty damn quickly. Uh, and and that's fine. That's that's cool. It's an, it's a good dynamic in Company of Heroes. But what's different here is that yeah, like the super weapons, the the elite units, when they go down, if you do not manage to extract them from a fight and get them to safety, it's kind of like a power play in hockey where it's like, oh shit, I just lost. Uh, I I just lost. Uh, sister, uh, what is it? Sister Solaria, uh, the the giant space the marine. imperial knight. Yeah, the imperial knight. Yeah, I just like you lose that thing, and it's gone for God. I want to say it's like four hundred seconds or something like that. Like it's it's a long ass time, and that is a tremendous amount of hit points and firepower that's that's just gone. Like you you needed that unit to answer certain other other things that are on the map. And now you can't, you, you, you can't just match strength for strength because your, your biggest badass was allowed to die. And so now you have to sort of write out what's going to happen while you wait for that cooldown to come in. And that does generate some really amazing moments, right? Like, you're sort of clinging to your your, your turret, and the enemy's about to break through, and if you can just hold... You know, you're, you're putting down the artillery fire like crazy. Uh, you're frantically rushing, uh, like, anti an, anti-vehicle, anti-armor infantry into the fray, just so you can chip that damage and hopefully slow them up. And then the cooldown completes and you roll out the heavy and the entire match flips again. That's it's a it's a really cool thing. I, I, I really dig that aspect of it because it definitely uh encourages a lot more I guess this is sort of where the husbanding your forces uh comes in. It definitely encourages a lot more um Knowing when to fold them, I guess is the way to put it. You know, extracting your heroes from a bad fight is, is another big part of this game because those cooldowns uh, change the dynamics so much from what is typical in an RTS and do add that element of, um, that's so familiar to MOBAs, right? You know, the, the increasing death timers, uh, which, which I find really cool. And you don't want to feed the enemy either. Uh, which is like a big kind of moba thing that it takes as well. Yeah. No, you it's it's definitely um it's it's an interesting it's an interesting approach. I just I'm <laughs> I I guess I am too rooted in I am so used to MOBA mechanics and RTS mechanics being so entirely different. And I think maybe the closest I was comfortable with them ever being was like your, uh, was like your Warcraft three, which predates the MOBA really in a lot of ways, but you you know what I mean? The the sort of combination of hero units and, and experience and, uh, and traditional RTS stuff and adapting to this has been such a huge challenge.
1: Well, I'm really interested. I, I don't. I, I don't think that we really have, and I don't think. It, I don't think it's possible to have a full grasp on how this game is um, supposed to be played, at least at the multiplayer level, because I think that there's so much going on with the doctrines and the heroes, and again, the shift. This 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 real time during the game shift in play style uh, mm-hmm. that we're talking about, and I think it's going to take some time to see where the balance is, um, where the air quotes, right way to play it is because I think that we have, I, th- I think we're just getting that idea, you know? It feels like one of those games that uh, we need to see how the player base interacts with it, you know? Um. So I do want to talk a
0: little bit about the campaign. Do um, we have to? <laughs> it sucks so much. We, we, we do. I remember Bill Abner once, I, I, I think I reviewed a game and I was like I loved it, but I hated the campaign, and I was like, yeah, but the multiplayer is awesome. Like, who gives a damn about the campaign? And he was very adamant that we could not simply pretend that a large fraction of the game did not exist. Um, Oh, it's just not good. I do not like (laughs) the way the maps are structured at all. Like, it feels like... Oh god, there's so many just like snake pathed maps where it's I'm just, a dungeon. God, it's, damn that's it. what it
2: is. It's like playing a really shitty Diablo.
0: <laughs> and this is what I couldn't stand about Dawn of War two. Like th- right. this is what feels really freaking familiar. And this was another aspect that I hope would die in a freaking fire. Was this whole like, brother, you must go to the next waypoint. You run there, you kill a bunch of shit, a gate drops, and then it's like, oh no, we must get to the something-something. And you run over there and you kill a bunch of shit. And it's so much worse here than it was in Dawn of War 2. <laughs> oh boy, it, it, to me it feels pretty much like, uh, well... Now, Dawn of War
2: 2's maps were largely open. as in, I mean, they were linear in the sense that you had this objective at the top of the map and you had to work your way through it and there were like pathways and stuff but this has it where they actually close off whole portions of the map and it's because they've got like most level most missions are phase based so you complete an objective and a new area of the map opens up it's like you start off and you've got your heroes and you can't do anything else other than march your heroes down this linear path and then you do that And then you have a big battle and then you maybe get base building for a little while. And now it's the base building portion of the mission. And it's all so perfunctory and I hate
0: it. The base building just (laughs) feels like it's just to generate what units you're going to take into the next part of the dungeon. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I guess I do remember a lot more like RPG style kiting and like, at least the encounters could feel kind of satisfying in Dawn of War 2 in a way that often they, they do not hear. Um, yeah, it's just you know I like I, I I like the Blood Ravens I like Captain Angelos uh, but I I feel like the story was at its best in Dawn of War One. Um, this does not th- th- this has got like a lot of flavor, but then the missions themselves just feel really kind of flavorless and and repetitive. But you know, Ian, I'm curious, like what
1: did what did you make of 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 the campaign and the mission design? So when it comes to 40k games, um. Acknowledging that there are a lot of really, really bad 40K games out there, <laughs> and I have always historically been there, I, so like with this one, um, really, I'm an easy lay with this stuff, right? Like, I want a, I want good lip service to kind of the iconography of 40K, right? And I want, um, I want the sense that your whatever this 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 galaxy shattering. Um, the story that's being told is simultaneously really really important in the context of the game and also this very tiny uh, insignificant thing when taken as a whole in 40k's background if that makes sense right mm-hmm. so i think that dawn of war 3 did that so i was okay with it but the map design really was bad right and 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 i know that it's kind of hard to conceptually square the idea of a campaign that i was mostly fine with with bad map design <laughs> but uh that's where i am right it it, it just uh it, it's it, because fraser's right it, what really drove me crazy about the map design is that you would just kind of leave units behind you know like you're your dude would climb or jump, you, you know, the hero who's, who's the focus of an individual level it would climb or jump or, or, or repel wherever it is to a higher level or a lower level or across a gap. And suddenly these troops that I was kind of getting used to being, to, to using suddenly are like left behind both in physical within the game terms and, uh, and, in story-wise and never to be seen again. And I found that really frustrating, you know, um, because again, it kind of snapped me to this place where suddenly I'm playing an RPG when I don't really want to play an RPG. If I wanted to play an RPG, I'd be playing an RPG. I wouldn't be playing uh, Dawn of War three. So yeah, it 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 was not. I'm. I don't want to be too hard on it because like I, I legitimately didn't didn't hate it or even dislike it. Like like there were parts of it that I thought were fine. Um, I want to avoid spoilers. Um, but the but story
2: is really bad, man. Spot. Yeah,
1: it, it 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 ended up being this. Um, it ended up being being some things happened that shouldn't happen in a forty k game later on, basically. Um, and uh, uh, just just because it kind of it kind of goes against what we would think of as like the established social relationships in in this universe, um, and, and, and how the different. It, it, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not it's it, you know it doesn't turn into a weird like interspecies porn or anything like that, but it 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 it, it definitely does things that that I've not seen other forty k game, games do really, or, or and and that they probably shouldn't. I, I don't know. Well, oh, man, I, now, now I'm
0: really now I'm really curious. Like you got me like almost eager to drink this cup of bilge water uh, to see like to see so what's busy. at the bottom. In avoiding oh,
2: spoilers, man. you've made it sound so much worse, but also a lot more exciting. Yeah, <laughs> really yeah.
1: The, I was like, no, <laughs> The thing is, is like, it's like it's not exciting. It's not at it's, all. No, it's not. And uh, yeah. That's 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 the weird thing is that it's it's the Inquisitor is evil, right?
0: Family. That's just like that's a given. Like
1: there's 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 kind of like this intergalactic, um, I guess, like warp based conspiracy. is the best way to put it. Sweet. And uh but but it turns out to be not a terribly interesting we're <laughs> we're warp, based we're directed <laughs> conspiracy and then yeah, that's I'll I'll just have to leave it there. All right. Like, All right. <laughs> yeah, I
0: uh Yeah, like I noped so hard out of that campaign. Uh just like the from the first mission, I was just like just Revulsion uh, at 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 sort of that at sort of that campaign structure, and it just felt it felt really claustrophobic uh, because mm-hmm. of the way the maps are structured. So it just always felt like not only are my troops fighting in uh, you know from hallway to hallway, but it also felt like when they entered <laughs> a room, basically where they've got to where they where got to have a fight or or maybe a slightly bigger arena. It still really felt like, um, sort of like in. Did either of you ever watch uh, what was it? Police Squad uh, with Leslie Nielsen or the Naked yeah. Gun series? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? There's this time where like he's involved in a shootout, and it keeps cross cutting between the guys like leaning out from cover and exchanging fire, and then it cuts to the wide shot. And they're literally like two feet away yeah. Yeah. and just like exchanging fire <laughs> yeah. with their gun muzzles almost touching. That's how every <laughs> battle feels in this campaign to me. It just feels like utterly ridiculous. Like, you're not sniping snipers. What are you pretending to do back there? Like, that guy, that guy's like three feet away. Yeah. yeah the whole I- like, we will not have a
2: cover system other than those defense sphere things that you hide in boy was
0: that a it, questionable decision in, yeah in my view. i like
2: the actual idea behind it and the, the problems they had with the cover system they had in two are completely legitimate and i understand why they wanted to find something else they went for the wrong new thing with cause, it because yep. it's actually worse uh it's awful it's just then you just have and this isn't so much a problem, again, in, in the multiplayer because there's so much more going on. But in the single player, you are just standing there and it's boring.
0: Even in the multiplayer, and I'm not so sure about them. Like, in a lot of places. I think there's they...
2: more movement, more momentum. Uh, so I think it's a little bit better. I still think if they'd had the cover system from Dawn of War 2 or something like it, the battles would have just gone on for way too long. <laughs>
0: Yeah, i i I can see that, and I can see that not really gelling with sort of the more uh, dynamic battles they're trying to have, where you've got a little more like maneuver and and getting in the enemy's face. Mm. On the other hand, those little those little shield nodes, yeah, often not good. and they feel like kind of silly because on a lot of the maps, at least, it doesn't feel like they're all that strategically positioned. So it's like my guys yeah. set up there. And it's like, boy, if the enemy comes through here, I'm really gonna get them. <laughs> so the often done. <laughs> enemy's not gonna come through there. And if I see somebody set up in there, I'm just gonna be like, eh, I think I'm gonna go to the other route, the one without the shield place, and go take that control point instead. See,
1: I'm the guy. I'm the guy who sees an occupied cover point, and I'm like, oh yeah, no, we got we, nothing needs to be left alive, right? Even even, <laughs> oh, no. even if it takes all my dudes, right? I'm I'm going in. Which is probably, by the way, why I'm not very good at real time strategy. <laughs> That's,
0: that is that is a very uh, yeah enemy in entrenched position. All right, gotta dedication gotta. for you. Yeah, let's yeah. do it.
1: Let's, let's let's jump those jump pack troops up there. We can do it.
0: It's like you would make a great like World War One general who's like convinced the bayonet <laughs> is still like it's the spirit of the army. Damn it, like.
1: Hey. <laughs> Battlefield 1 was, was one of my game of the, games of the year last year, so, you know, I'm, I'm very into dying repeatedly and not learning my lesson.
2: <laughs> the, real, the real problem I had with the campaign above all else was how every encounter is heavily scripted, and yet they don't do anything like interesting with them. Each battle is like a sort of set-piece battle, or at least has a trigger to it. There is no... You're not fighting against the AI. You're fighting against something that Relic decided like a year or two ago. Um, uh, but it's not exciting or thrilling. It's still just a bunch of dudes standing, fighting, really close to each other, feeling each other's breath. Um, <laughs> and it's... Yeah, I, I, I feel like if you're going to do these highly scripted this highly scripted campaign have a lot of cool things happening. Like occasionally you'd have something where you've got to like I think it was one of the the first orc missions where you've got to protect this cannon that every time it fires it moves further back to where you want it to go. <laughs> See, I love that. I thought that and was, that was so funny. <laughs> that was really funny, but all the enemy we were doing were just coming at you in waves. It was just a wave-based battle. There was nothing more to it. So like there was this really cool flavor um but the actual fight, there was no real... Like, there was nothing I had to think of as a tactician. I just had to have my guys stand there. It's like, as long as I had enough people, and by this point I did, because I had a full base, I could just churn them out. So there was no tension, no thrill, no, like, feeling like, oh, I was down to my last man and I still got it. It was just, here I am, standing for another 15 minutes, waiting for this bloody mission to end. And I, I knew I had it in the bag.
1: Uh... Yeah, so it feels like a waste of having these scripted missions. See, when when I played that mission, I had I'd gotten up to like, uh, you know, because you can't pause it mm-hmm. <laughs> anymore, and uh, uh, or or I didn't pause it, and uh, I'd, I'd gotten up to get a drink, and a bunch of my troops had died because like they just kind of sat there. I don't know, and uh, so 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 that that part of the mission was actually really tense for me because I had about like two thirds the units that I should have had, so. uh yeah, that was but, awesome. I thought that was like excellent. And Relic should add a get up and get a drink at this point, like tension. Yeah, that's break. that
0: is an interesting endorsement for the campaign. Like, okay, so here's the deal: if you leave for like five minutes and just let the game run, and like then three, you play it, 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 it's a good game. It's a good campaign. You just need to you just need to handicap yourself every mission. Like before each session, drink a huge pitcher of water turn your phone ringer as loud as it can go <laughs> and then you got a good campaign
1: yeah well i mean i mean like i said like like, like i'm that idiot who starts a whenever i'm like oh it's howling banshees yeah i know those those are cool so it worked for me but like i totally get the critique yeah. i really yeah. do uh,
2: and you so- see that battle like 20 times in the game because that is <laughs> attack that is something they just throw at you they're like hey we heard you really like wave based battles we've got lots of them
0: Uh, It just is so dull Yeah, and I do find it a little weird Because Well, not just weird, but like This same studio Made Ardan's assault
2: I know, that's the whole time (laughs) I was playing this campaign I was like, what the fuck happened? And do you know what the fuck happened? They ran out of time, it's
0: gotta be that Uh, They ran out of time I suspect because it's just different within that studio sure. too like it's yeah it like it definitely doesn't feel like the dawn of war games come from the same people and but at the same
2: time dawn of war games have had these dynamic campaign maps before in fact every other dawn of war has
0: uh dawn of dawn war
2: 2 launched with it dawn of war 1 and got it dawn in of Sword war 2
0: had like a starcraft branching thing but i don't think it was it like was... a full... Retribution. Was. You I was. I think lose. Had
2: more. You could lose colony, or you could lose areas by ignoring them, and then lose resources because you lost those areas. And if you lost a battle, it moved forward. There was actually like days, so you'd like if in day twenty three, you go to a battle and you lose. Then that's it. You've moved to day twenty four. So you suffer. So it's at, it, it was actually a proper. Yeah, it was I guess a proper to me it read dynamic more campaign. As
0: like... You can go it here, or you can go there, and things will get no, worse here if you go there.
2: I, I replayed it in preparation okay. for, for Dawn of War 3, and it has a, it's it. It's got nothing on Ardennes Assault, like, not even close. Yeah. But it is a dynamic campaign map, and it is infinitely more enjoyable and engaging than this kind of linear scripted campaign that they've got going with 3. With so I hope that in the inevitable expansion... Uh, they'll be like okay now we're going to focus on uh, like a dynamic campaign with because that's the thing about our dens as well is they had dynamic missions within missions Uh, like go and assassinate this guy or watch out for the sniper go and steal this piece of intel Uh, and they they were completely randomized
0: yeah i it just it just feels a little baffling to me and if you're going to make something that's linear and scripted like it should feel maybe a little more like colorful and author but it just doesn't mm. uh all right so recommendations time like like in the end where do you guys come out with this
2: well i think i'm i'm still i still feel the same way as i did when i i reviewed it um it is a, on many occasions my favorite uh dawn of war game and all of them are when i'm playing the multiplayer um the campaign is just it's just not great uh it's not the worst campaign I've ever played, but I don't think that the bar is that high these days with RTS campaigns. Uh, I expect a lot better, a lot better from Relic, though. This is a very bad campaign from them, I'm pretty disappointed. And if all you want from RTS is, and I think, to be honest, a lot of RTS players, maybe even the like most RTS players, they dig the campaign more than multiplayer, uh, at least it used to be that way. Yeah. Uh, uh, if, if you're one of them, then maybe give this a miss until they sort themselves out and add a proper dynamic campaign. But if you have any interest in a refreshing new take on RTS multiplayer, I think you have to, you have to at least try it, because it is really, really new. And there's not much in real-time strategy that feels new anymore, so this is quite, quite rewarding to play something that feels so different. Um, and especially if you like mobas as well, I think you're going to feel a lot more comfortable than say than say you guys did. Um, yeah. So I, it got, yeah, it gets a recommendation for half of the game.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I largely agree with that with the with the uh, with the addition that I think that you can probably I I I, I got more satisfaction out of the single player campaign than Frasier did. Um and I think that there is a little more joy to be had there if you just kind of like sit back and enjoy the noises and the sights of forty K if you're a forty K fan. Um I also think that the multiplayer is perfectly serviceable if you just want to go play against uh against the AI. Um yeah you know, skirmish mode is good. Of, yeah, just just kind of do that fight on a bigger map thing. Um then uh than the single player campaign and have, have kind of a more relaxed thing than full multiplayer against against uh real players. Um yeah, I think there's some really interesting stuff. I, I, I would get it. I think that if they continue to do the kind of like standalone expansion plans that they used to, I think that there's a lot of potential for it to be even better and maybe missing it and getting the first standalone camp uh expansion if it you know if, if you find out it has a better campaign, if that makes sense. Um, and some new races and stuff like that. Because the other thing is, is that 40K players can be very particular about their races. I was, I was on the forums um, the other day, and a lot of people were really upset because there was, like, this hardcore uh, group of, of Necron players. And apparently they had an idea that the Necrons were going to be in, and obviously they're not... Um, and they were really upset. They were like, I wish I hadn't wasted money on this. So if you're really, really invested in a particular <laughs> army, right? And and some people you really the are. You would think
0: Necrons would be used to that. Them and the Tau. You, you I, think, well, how do so
1: many people love the
2: Tau? So many people have a hard-on for the Tau. I've,
1: <laughs> the... The editor, the editor in chief of Waypoint, is one of the is one of the Tau guys. So, you know, <laughs> really? speak, speak softly. But um, yeah, like it, it, it was baffling to me because Necrons are very strange and 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 not that fun. But like, if you're really invested in playing a race that isn't in there, then you know maybe maybe give it a miss. But yeah, I think it's totally worth you know the cost of the the price of admission, particularly if you're into multiplayer. Yeah, I think for me. It, it,
0: it totally, like, if you come into this wanting, <laughs> if if you want more of that good uh, Dawn of War, and you have a really specific idea <laughs> of what that good Dawn of War is, be it one or two, I think there's a lot that's going to piss you off here and, yeah. like, baffle you a, a little bit. I think this really, like, you got to be really down with some major changes and also I think you you really need to be looking for something that definitely breaks out of a tri- a typical RTS or MOBA mold you know what I mean and this, this is the weird this is the weird thing for me it's it kind of feels like um you you're looking at a Venn diagram and you're hoping like it kind of feels like relic we're hoping to draw a giant circle around both the circles and compass RTS and MOBA (laughs) players. But I think there's a chance they only got the center of the Venn diagram and the, the overlap (laughs) of those two audiences. Uh, I I don't know. Like for me, it definitely feels like a game where if you live in that, if if you live in that spot where you kind of want those two things to, to, to come together, uh, and that, that sounds exciting to you. Like, absolutely. Uh, for me, there's a lot of moments where I'm kind of running up against a, you know, what the hell is this (laughs) kind of, kind of reaction. Uh, But, but then there are moments where where it does sort of break through and overcome that. And it it really is something cool.
1: It's it's one of those rare games where, where, where you can see that they had a marketing meeting and they said, Oh shit, let's capture this. Right. And then they built the game around the marketing meeting rather than maybe this kind of what we think of as like a purely idealized artistic vision uh you know and and that's fine though right because like it's it's one of those games that does that where you can kind of see the artifice right but it's also good like it succeeds at what it wants to do right now you know that may that 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 may or may not sit well with an individual but you know it's 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 good at what it wants to do
0: i'm a little idealistic i guess like to me, this feels too weird to have been like so so marketing driven. Like it just seems too too free. Like a marketing like a, a marketing meeting definitely gave us something like um, oh hell, what the hell was it called? Um, End of nations. I want to say, was like oh, that thing that, that were working on. I'm not sure it ever saw the light of day, but it was like that was the MOBA RTS. That was definitely the, like, okay, so it's these two things that people are into, and if we combine them, it'll, it'll blow up huge. This one feels too damn weird. To me, this feels like if you're a designer, you're sort of, like, RTS's there's a lot of models you can you can draw from, and the genre is not done to death by any means, but at the same time, it's a pretty well-explored space, and so is the MOBA in a lot of ways. This definitely feels like kind of a um, an interesting attempt at combining them uh, that it, it feels like a first foray uh, in, into an idea uh, is, is kind of how it reads to me.
2: I think they were really, like, when I went out to, to see Relic, they did seem pretty sincere about just they had a lot of cool ideas plucked from not just MOBAs and strategy games, but even things as far afield as, like, first-person shooters and just trying to find interesting things that they can add to what a lot of people consider now maybe a little bit of a stale genre. Um, and they just wanted to to throw interesting ideas in there and see what... Stuck, and not a lot of it. Not not all of it did, uh, obviously. Uh- but yeah, I don't think it was just down to marketing because I don't think I think this game is too hard to market. I don't think a marketing team could come up with a game like this. Well, a marketing uh,
0: team could definitely send you down a direction that ends up with something paradoxically hard to
1: hard to market though. You this is true, definitely like this is true, guys, this yeah. is gonna
0: be great. You just execute. Yeah, on that's it.
1: kind of what I meant in that in, in that like it seemed to me like like they were clearly like, Okay, MOBAs are big, let's incorporate some MOBA stuff. You And that the can pitch. work at definite levels. Um Yeah. yeah it's good, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, no
0: i I, I definitely uh I, I, I definitely find it intriguing. in three months' time, I'll be able to let you know whether I like it. Uh, and I suspect uh, like I, I, like I, there is a pattern with this series too of like the first expansion really being where things kind of start locking in um.
2: Yeah, the chaos. Uh, yeah. Was it chaos rising. Chaos reborn, yeah. I think, or
0: something. Yeah.
2: Right, and then there is the um, because they had the it was it Winter Assault or something with for the first that was the Imperial Guard yeah. expansion. Yeah, yeah. Which
0: was fucking brilliant. That was great. Give me yeah. that Imperial Guard and call them the Imperial Guard. Damn it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
1: Astra Militarum. God. What is that even?
0: Just I can't wait until they try to get a voice actor to say that line. Yeah, you know, we are the Astra Militarum. Militarum. Let's go, Astra Militari.
1: Yeah, no. we we speak bad Latin and carry nas <laughs> guns. And... Anyway,
0: uh, so so yeah, I I think if you feel you're in the center of that Venn diagram, uh, you you get in on some of this. <laughs> but if you're, but yeah, if you if you're looking for like a return to a really specific idea of what the good dawn of war was um yeah maybe maybe let this maybe maybe uh you know i don't even know like the, the multiplayer demo is over now isn't it
2: mm-hmm. it was yeah. an open beta up until launch but yeah. relic have previously for like company of heroes 2 had like multiplayer weekends and stuff like that so um if so, for instance, if they're going to be doing an expansion, they might do that again prior to the expansion to get people in. So, yeah,
0: uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you, thank you both so much for uh, for for joining me tonight, and that it will do it for our discussion of Dawn of War III. Uh, it, at least for now, uh, we'll we'll have further updates from the field uh, as, as the game evolves, and we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net, or follow us on twitter.com, uh, Twitter at twitter.com 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com 3MA. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Ian Williams and Fraser Brown, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.